Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. Tech Talk. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, we're going to look back at what was a turbulent week in the world of Google as they unveiled their AI chatbot. Plus, we're going to talk about online safety, what has been done and what is left to do. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. But we're going to start this week with a Google story because Alphabet, uh, which is the parent company, their shares fell 7% after an AI event hosted by Google. Now, you'd usually expect some mad innovation to cause a bit of a stir, a bit of a buzz. But unfortunately, uh, it had the opposite effect in this instance. Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times is with me now to talk through what exactly happened. Uh, Kira, talk us through it. So what's happened is, is um, Google had a launch event for its Bard AI, which is going to be its its rival, I suppose, to what we've seen as the chat GPT phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, during the demo, the video demo, it gave the wrong answer. Um, and it was, it was something that I would never have picked up on. I am not an expert in the, the space telescopes and deep space photography, all that, but there are people who are experts in this. And um, they picked up, there was a, a question about, you know, what could you teach a nine-year-old about this particular, the James Webb Space Telescope? Um, and it's based, it's NASA's Space Telescope. And they, it said it was used to take the, the very first pictures of a planet outside the Earth's solar system. But it turns out it wasn't. Um, and experts popped up to say, actually, your 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 uh, your answer there was wrong. So it kind of showed, I suppose, um, how AI could fall at the first hurdle. Now, I do think that to, it should be noted, right, that these all these chatbots, they're still experimental. Mm-hmm. And anybody who's used ChatGPT will know that um, it's not exactly accurate itself. Now, for example, um, I asked it yesterday, uh, just as a... a, a an experiment of my own to see who was Jess Kelly. Who's the journalist Jess Kelly? Oh, and on. it told me with absolute confidence that you are you're a you're a journalist, you're a broadcast journalist, and you host apparently the Drive Time Radio Show on News Talk. And you're well promoted. known. You got promoted, and also you're well known for your politics, your insights into politics. Um, and I'm not saying Jess, I, I'm not saying your insights into politics are not incisive and witty and extremely informative. But I would have put you at tech above politics. Mm-hmm. And then I asked, um, you know, about me, because, you know, vain, absolutely vain. Have to find out who's the journalist, Kira O'Brien. Apparently, I have, I, I'm, I'm, I do tech. Yes, it mm-hmm. got that right. Um, but it said I work for the Irish Independent and Silicon Republic, two publications I have, don't think I've ever written for in my life. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the kind of, you know, and it doesn't show its sources. So, and there's been a lot of concern over this. And I think that Google is not on its own. It's just happened to be that in this particular instance, all eyes were on it and the AI kind of crapped out a little bit at the first hurdle. Um, and this is, you know, it's not available to the public. It's being tested by what they say are there are trusted external testers. And the idea being that stuff like this will get weeded out before it's unleashed on the world. But part of the issue is here, I suppose, that look, Google has been working on AI for 
years. I mean, they they they've a long time back kind of positioned itself as you know, concentrating on AI for the future. And we've seen some of that AI and machine learning and all that stuff come to the fore in the likes of, say, Google Translate. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now I can sit and have a conversation with somebody with Google Translate turned on and it will translate it on the fly for me. So we can be speaking two completely different languages. And yes, sometimes the, the translations are a bit kind of ropey, but you know, I like, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I couldn't have done that. I would have been armed with uh, some sort of phrase book and mangling a foreign language. Um, you know, so the, you know, AI is working as such. But this this new generation of AI, this generative AI, where, you know, the AI is going to write novels and paint paintings. You know, it's it's very interesting and very attention grabbing, but it's still at a very, very early stage because as we've seen, all of these chatbots will tell you with utmost confidence the wrong answer. And you have yeah. no way at the moment anyway, I suppose, um, of of checking up on that. So if you use chat GPT and ask it a question, as I did, there was no sources cited. Now, obviously, this is something that's going to, to, to change. But the problem at the moment is obviously at this very early stage, we're not 100% sure where the information is coming from. So we can't check. The, yeah. the kind of validity of that information. Now, this is going to be built into search engines. Obviously, Microsoft has announced its own kind of link up with um, OpenAI and it's building that technology into Bing. That's kind of, you know, it's, there's a, a, a list you get on to, to get access to that, but you can see kind of some of the examples on it. So, you know, you can ask for, um, you know, ideas for a six-year-old's birthday party or you could ask for ideas for date night, a Mexican-themed date night Um if you want to go out and have some nice Mexican food or cook some at home and it'll give you those, you know, at the moment. Um, just, I suppose, I suppose just to be aware though that, you know, it is still an early stage. And unfortunately, as I said, Google just happened to be doing it right in the, in the public eye because there's been a, a number of documented instances of where ChatGPT has got things wrong because it's working on a certain data set. And the problem yeah. is, is when the, the, the data is flawed, um, then the answers it's going to give is flawed. And we've seen that before. And I mean, Microsoft also had Tay, if you remember that box yes. that they had yeah. as a chatbot online that they had to take down because I think within 12 hours of it being unleashed in kind of the, the, the West and in Europe and, and the US, they it was basically learning to be racist um, and mm. offensive. Yeah, so, and uh, I think they're, they're all valid issues. And I think, because like, we spoke about ChatGPT on the show a few weeks ago and it's great to cover these types of innovations, but we need to remember that they're being built by human beings and things like unconscious or even conscious bias impact it. And also, like the way these types of things work is, that, as you said, they work off data sets or in some instances they can you know, trawl the internet. But if what's on the internet is inaccurate and if the AI is making assumptions based on what it can find... Like we're not like researchers aren't out of a job just yet. And I wouldn't be doing my job using it just yet, because although it is helpful in summarizing certain complex historical issues. So if you're looking for a summary of World War One or World War Two or something like that, it could probably do a pretty good summary. And as you said, it'd be in plain English. But if you're looking for more modern things or if you're looking for things that are contentious or have nuance or anything like that, I think that's where it struggles. And I, I I just think some people were saying, you know, they're going to invest, like basically bet the house on ChatGPT being the be all and end all. And what happened with Google happened to so many tech companies. Like there's so many famous examples of Steve Jobs, for example, doing a demo on stage and it failing. 
it's just oh, the live demo, yeah. Yeah, it's just not ideal. Like it's like being on the toy show and a toy won't work because you haven't switched it on or the batteries are dead. Do you know what I mean? It's just it's it's an unfortunate thing, obviously, for, for Google and indeed for Alphabet. But in a way, I'm kind of it sounds really bad, right? But I'm kind of happy about it because it kind of puts a halt to the gallop of everybody just putting all their eggs in one basket and thinking it's a done deal. I do think, yeah, I think like I, I would never come firmly down on the side of, oh, ChatGPT is going to, uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT are going to win this particular race or, mm-hmm. you know, Google's now dead because, you know, it's AI made a mistake on a demo. Um, I think we're, we are, as I said, we are at the very, very start of this. This is something that is going to get more interesting and it's going to, obviously, as as the AI capabilities grow, I mean, a few years ago, we wouldn't have thought this was possible. You wouldn't have thought that, you know, an AI could generate a painting, for example. Um, but, you know, we're kind of at the point, I know people have been kind of comparing it to, you know, Skynet and, you know, oh my God, this is where Terminator takes over. I don't think we're quite at that point yet. And as you said, like, I don't think researchers are out of a job. I think that it is a new phase of things in that, you know, and it's also the first time in a long time that um, the tech companies have had kind of like a new front to fight on. So Microsoft obviously has Bing. I don't know anybody, sorry, Microsoft, but I don't know anybody who automatically goes to Bing as their first choice of search engine. Um, a lot it's not it's you know you google things you don't bing things but I mean obviously it's a terrible name sorry but it is a terrible name Um, and you know this could tip the scales I suppose a bit more in favor of Microsoft if they implement this AI search in a in a a better way than other people are doing it you know I don't know will will it mean like that Microsoft will completely take over search I don't know Um, if I had a crystal ball that would kind of see into the future and could predict that accurately, I would, to be honest, I'd be looking at the the, uh, the lot of numbers first and then I'd go for something like that. And I'd be putting a lot of money into tech stocks that I can see far into the future. But mm-hmm. I do think that like it's it's going to be interesting because this is, you know, this is a real competition for Google. Google were caught in the hop a little bit with this one because they've been working on this for years, but they're kind of, you know, they, they were big into, you know, refining it and tweaking it before we put it out into the world. And I think to a certain extent, they were kind of, their hand was forced and um, probably not ready to unleash Bard onto people. And as you've seen, they haven't actually put it out because it's still with these external testers. And um, when obviously then Microsoft has announced that Bing is, is being rolled out, Bing with AI search is being rolled out to people. Um, will it mean that, you know, they, they kind of, ed- they, they get the edge in, in this particular battle? I don't know. Um, I still think having done searches with Bing and with the, 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 the AI search, that while this generative AI and while this kind of conversational AI is great to have, it still needs the proper data underneath it. And I just, to be honest, the Google search results were kind of more what I was looking for, even without the AI element to it. So it's not just a case of, oh, they have they have AI and they're doing it well, they're going to take over everything. You still have to kind of fulfill the other parts of the the, the puzzle before you know, that we can actually say there's a winner here. And again, we are so early on into this predicting, uh, you know, kind of the winners and the fact that AI is going to take over everything, that we're all going to be out of a job. Oh, and journalists are going to be out of a job as well. I mean, there's certain parts of my job I would quite happily hand over to AI because there's certain things that I just don't need to write. But like from a, a, a professional point of view, they have to be written, but it doesn't necessarily be, need to be me that's writing them. And AI could quite easily do that and I think there are some news organizations who are using AI to do kind of basic factual things and where the I suppose where the human element comes into it is 
you know, that they, as you mentioned, nuance and, you know, kind of putting things into context and me knowing that, yes, I've covered this company, you know, three times in the past year. And, you know, three months ago, they said they were going to create 100 jobs. But today they're telling people they're letting go 50 people. So, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's that kind of thing, that kind of knitting it all together that I don't think AI is, is quite there at yet. Um, now, who's to say it, it may well get there? The, the the speed at which this is progressing is very interesting. Um, but I'm not kind of I'm not kind of holding my hands up and, and, and planning my retirement just yet. I'm a <laughs> long, long way to go. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, yeah, I, look, I think it's an interesting one. And obviously, obviously, it's one to watch in terms of the development and how it's handled. But as I said, I, I as crappy as it was from, from Google's point of view, I think it's good to have these reminders that this is technology. It's still in development and it's by no means perfect. Uh, before I let you go, I want to talk to you briefly about two things. Firstly, the new Samsung Galaxy S23. We mentioned it on the show last week and I had my first impressions on the Pat Kenny show earlier in the week as well. Uh, what do you make of it so far? I really like it. I mean, look, it's all about cameras. You can see that well, the Ultra was the one that I had um, mm-hmm. and loads of cameras on the back of it. To be honest, if you were looking at the lower ones, the uh, the the basic S23 and the S23 Plus, there's not a huge difference in what they do and what the S22 does. Um, the only like the, the main reason I would go for the newest phone that you can buy is because of security updates. Samsung has committed to, I think it's four years of operating system updates, but five years of security updates. And the security updates is the crucial one because that's the one that's going to stop your banking app working if you don't have the right security patches. And people are holding on to their phones for longer now. So you're talking about instead, like there was a point where people would upgrade their phones every year because they were getting a new one thrown at them by the networks. And now people are kind of linking into two-year contracts. So it's two or three years before they're upgrading their phone at the very least. It's, it's kind of creeping up closer to three years now. And the thing is, like, we don't need, like, there they used to be such huge jumps in what they could do. Um, and in between the different announcements, you know, and Apple used to have that TikTok kind of thing where they'd have like they'd announce uh, a new phone and then they'd have uh, kind of like a, a, an iterative update, you know, so it wouldn't be hugely different, but it would just be may have an upgraded camera. And then the next one would be the next big jump. And we've kind of lost that a little bit, I think, um, in that, you know, we don't get that massive jump in between the different models anymore. So if, you know, if you're if you're your your budget's not stretching to the S23 or the 23 plus, the S22 is still a great phone. Uh, the S23 Ultra, you know, the, the camera on is amazing. It's got a 200 megapixel sensor on it, um, which, you know, the camera on it is great. But I was doing kind of uh, more megapixels doesn't necessarily mean better images. And I was doing kind of side by sides with a couple of other other phones. And I found that actually I was getting in some cases I was getting better photographs out of the iPhone uh, 14 Pro um, than I was out of the, the the Ultra just because, you know, you could see it was it was just very heavily smoothed over in some cases um, particularly in low light but like you get some phenomenal photographs out of the ultra and in some cases you know they are better than anything else that's out there and you can do that whole kind of you know massive megapixel shot and then you know kind of um, crop it down to whatever you want which is is fantastic but mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of, like most of the time I was using it just kind of on the, the normal settings I wasn't going into that that super duper you know massive megapixel thing and what I did find better though was the um uh, the optical image stabilization you know all that that image stabilizing and they have like a super steady 
mode on the video camera, which was very handy, particularly if you're using those higher zooms that they have, because then it just kind of makes it seem less jerky and it smooths everything out. Um, in general, look, there, I, I'm, I'm a fan of the Samsung phones. Um, yeah. I think as far as Android phones go, you know, they, they are they're 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 obviously one of the best um but you know there's a lot of competition out there now and there's a lot of cheaper competition out there now and i suppose asking people to pay that amount of money for a phone it's you know i mean like anything over 1200 euro now you know people generally aren't buying them outright so they don't feel the pain as much but you are locking yourself into like a two and three year kind of a deal to stay with a network if you're going to get that if you want to get it in any sort of affordable price for people so yeah i mean I, if i was thinking of buying one i would certainly be looking around for a really good deal and not just a good deal on the handset up front but good deal on the plan that i'm paying for in the back of it because that's that's where they get you 100 percent. Uh, finally and very briefly speaking of phones and all that jazz uh mobile world congress is coming up it's taking place in barcelona my inbox is already bursting with uh you know potential press releases and briefings about new phones and updates and all that kind of stuff Samsung used to launch their phones at this event, but obviously they didn't do that this year or for the last few years. Is there anything that you're super excited to to see at MWC? Um, I'm super excited. I'm just kind of, I'd be interested to see just what, what the actual show itself is like, because look, this is the first year, I suppose, really where people have, you know, everything is back, uh, back to full capacity, no um, restrictions on it. There's no, there's no kind of, Somebody described CES last year as the, uh, it was a bit like a crime scene with lots of tape where stands should have been. And this year it was absolutely rammed with people. So it'd be interesting to see, I suppose, you know, just where, um, just where everybody is back and what they're, who's actually going to show up this year. And you're right, yeah. like Samsung used to do those big launches. Um, and those, I suppose they've, they've kind of fallen away a bit from that. And I can understand why, because stuff gets lost in the noise um, yeah. around Mobile World Congress. There's so much going on. You're actually much better off to launch before because then you kind of get people's attention, as Samsung has done. Um, I'd be interested to see what Nokia is doing Um you know that they they've kind of they've a few decent phones out um in the last kind of few years and you know that they're not kind of trying to go for that super high end you know massively expensive market they're kind of they're 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 putting out good phones and they're you know doing it at a price that people can actually afford to pay outright for um it'll be interesting to see as well. I mean, I'm assuming like a, the, a lot of the the Chinese mobile companies will be there as well and that was where you know we started to see Huawei and Xiaomi and a few others started to kind of make their mark before they really hit the market in Ireland um so it will be you know, there'll probably be a bit of the, the AI stuff as well I mean the, the the lines between all these conferences are starting to get a bit more blurred yeah yeah no absolutely it's all changed uh, but anyway, we will bring you any and all of the updates uh, here on News Talk over the coming weeks as MWC approaches and unfolds. Uh, Kira O'Brien of the Irish Times, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you very much. Now, when we come back here on News Talk, I'll be joined by Alex Cooney of CyberSafe Kids to look at what we can do to support those navigating parenting in the digital age. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Now, last Tuesday was Safer Internet Day. There was plenty of discussion. There was a fair bit of outrage, banging the table, shaking the head. Everybody pretty much saying the same thing. And that is we're not doing enough to support 
parents and also children as they navigate the world of the internet, be that in the world of gaming, social media or just chatting to their friends. Alex Cooney is the CEO of Cyber Safe Kids and she joins me now. Alex, one of the things that struck me listening to Tuesday's News Talk Breakfast was that parents still feel helpless and smartphones and social media and the internet have been around for such a long time now. Why do you think we're still in this position of almost powerlessness when it comes to parenting in the digital age? Because I think a lot of parents feel wrong-footed on it. You know, they weren't parented on it themselves. They didn't grow up with, uh, or, you know, I know there are younger parents now, but largely they didn't grow up with this this access, this, this um, you know, um, this ability to just go online whenever, you know, so it is, it's, it's an incredible change and it's, you know, hugely exciting to be living through the digital age, but, you know, for the generation of parents out there, they, they weren't born into it. So it's something they're having to learn. And and I think because children seem so familiar, so comfortable with technology, um, we can sometimes mistake and mistake that for, you know, them being really super savvy about it. Uh, and and parents don't always feel as um, informed themselves. So it puts them on the back foot. One of the things that we've spoken about many times over the years is that the kids, although they use different apps and so on, they're interacting with the same types of technology that we are. And it's very difficult post-pandemic to believe anybody would be unfamiliar with how a smartphone works, how to screenshot, the fact that, you know, different companies have block report all that kind of stuff so what do you think are the biggest pitfalls when it comes to parents confidence in in the realm of parenting i think that children um move around you know through different apps they're not necessarily loyal to, to one specific one so they feel they have to get to know oh you know what's this new game what's this what's this new app you want to be on that you say that all your friends want to be on um, and it might just not feel familiar, it's, you know, in terms of being able to navigate it. You may not get it. Like, what do they like about it? I don't even really understand it, you know. Um, certainly with when TikTok first emerged on the scene uh, and even Snapchat, we saw a real difference between, you know, parents' views of them and children's views of them. Like, children loved them, wanted to be on them, you know, saw the fun side of being on them, whereas parents just couldn't get their heads around what was so exciting about it. Um, I think the pandemic probably did change that a little bit because certainly with TikTok anyway, you saw a lot of adults kind of uh, finding the fun side of TikTok too. Uh, but I, yeah, I think it, it's not always knowing what what the particular risks with a particular app or game might be. Whereas actually, we would say there are general things that you can apply across the board. So it's not that you have to be an expert on you know, Snapchat, for example, it's it's about thinking through, well, you know, are privacy settings being used? Who's mm. on the friends list? What's being shared? Uh, and who's it being shared with? Um, you know, the, like, what kind of content are they looking at? You know, the, these are sort of general questions that we can apply really across the board. And I think that it's helpful to, to for parents to know that so that, you know, that there are sort of things that they can check off and check in with their child on. Uh, because one of the big messages is you know certainly with our same rules apply campaign is the engagement between parent and child uh, over their online use is really critical to ensuring that children have a safer experience online you know their, their parents involvement the parents oversight the conversations around it all of those things are really really important 
Yeah, and I'm really interested in the same rules apply campaign because this is something that I've talked quite a bit about over the years and I'm sure we've spoken about it over the years as well. You know, when I was growing up, we were often told at home, you know, don't talk to people you don't know, wear a helmet when you're playing Hurley, uh, you know, look both ways when you're crossing the road. You get all this safety advice for your day-to-day activities. And I guess it kind of makes sense to have something similar when it comes to the online space then as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that's obviously the essence of the of the title. Same rules apply. We need to approach parenting our children online in that same way, you know, seeing it as a, a process, uh, a preparation for a time when they're going to have greater independence and, you know, when they'll be kind of off exploring uh, the, the Internet by themselves. But, but you know, before they get to that point, we need to prepare them. We need to support them. So there's a lot we need we can do through um, conversations, through oversight and, and ground rules and things like that, and just keeping an eye on them. So one of the stats that we released on Tuesday was on Safer Internet Day was this this one around use of, of devices in bedrooms because we asked children, we wanted to understand kind of what rules were in place at home. And only 18% said they were not allowed uh, to use their device in the bedroom. Uh, so this suggests that the majority are allowed to use their devices in the bedroom. And for us, that's kind of an interesting one, because if a child is in their bedroom with the door shut, the parent is really excluded from what's going on. They, you know, they're not able to just look over their shoulder and see, you know, what sites they're on or or maybe what content they're encountering or even who they're chatting to. So we would really encourage parents to think about, especially this is the children that we surveyed were all between eight and 12. So still quite young kids in primary school. And we'd really urge parents to kind of keep an eye on them um, have them in family spaces because that way you can check in. You can see what they're watching. They, you can, you know, hear the conversations in some cases. So it's just a, it's 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 a way of keeping an eye on them, and they do need that when they're that young. And one of the brilliant things about the work that you're doing and the conversations that have been had over the last wee while is that you know people who have kids in the next five years or so will hopefully have the skills and this knowledge before their kids get into technology or interact with technology and online platforms. But what about? parents of preteens or teens right now because it's very difficult to put the genie back in the bottle oh you're so right and and often it feels like we're giving advice to parents who have this all ahead of them you know who are in that lovely position of you know being able to think through how they want this to go um but actually there are lots of parents that we talk to who are already in this place who already feel like they've maybe lost control a little bit or you know it's all so overwhelming and we would say for, for teenagers in particular, they, those check-ins, those conversations become all the more important. You may not be able to kind of have such a clear rules and boundaries in, in terms of where they can use it and, and, and when they can access certain things, certainly for anyway, middle and older teens. But you, those conversations are really the reminders and sometimes awkward conversations. You know, we know from uh, studies that have, have been carried out over the last few years and even even as recently as two weeks ago, uh, I think it was the Children's Commissioner in, in the UK released a report around uh, children accessing pornography. So they were serving teenagers, but actually most of those teenagers had first viewed pornography in, in prim- when they were in primary school. So this reminds us that we do need to be having these conversations sometimes about awkward topics at home, because what we don't want is that they're learning about such important things as as, as relationships from these sources which can be distorted or provide a distorted view of reality. 
So yeah, those check-ins and conversations become all the more important and thinking about your own behavior as a parent, like in terms of your online use, because if you're constantly, you know, looking at your device or having it at the table or, you know, looking at it late into the night, then it is a harder message to your teenager to say you shouldn't be doing this. Mm, that is a good point. And it is something that crops up time and again, you know, monkey see, monkey do, to put it in politely. That is, it, it's true. Um, looking ahead to some of the changes that are coming down the line. Uh, so there's a lot of work being done in terms of the online safety and media regulations bill. There's a lot of work being done at a platform level. Um, just this week, TikTok announced new changes to its blocking uh, or, or suspending or removal of accounts that are constantly in breach of the terms of use and so on. Are you confident that we are at long last tackling this from all sides? So not just putting the onus on the parents, but putting an equal amount of weight, if not more, on the plates of governments and on the plates of the companies. So I'd say confidence is too strong a word. I would say I feel hopeful uh, because we have seen some positive changes over the last couple of years in particular. And as you say, we have an online safety commission and a commissioner about to start in that role uh, very soon. So these are exciting changes. And yes, uh, some of the companies themselves have announced positive um, changes to their services for children, particularly for children, uh, over the last couple of years, there have been a few changes, um, particularly probably since the age appropriate design code was introduced in the UK. I think that prompted a, a few changes as well. Um, but it's we've still quite a long way to go. Um, so it's not something we need to kind of uh, uh, it's not a, an area that we can you know sit back and say, well, our job is done at, at all. I think we've still a, a long way to go before some of these tech companies put uh, their users' interests over profit, uh, particularly their more vulnerable users' interests. Um, so I would say we we they have a long way to go in terms of, of ensuring that there is sort of safety by design built into the services that they that they supply and that children use. I, I want to just talk briefly about the online safety commissioner because that's going to be a game changer if it all works. It's only going to really work if people reach out when something goes wrong and look for that sense of accountability. You know, can you just talk through like what we as social media users and Internet users and what parents will need to be aware of when this role comes into play and at what point they you know, should reach out for help or at what point we should expect some form of actual action? So that you make a really interesting point because you know the Australians have had an e-safety commissioner since 2016, and even as as you know two years ago, talking to one of their one of their staff, um, she was saying they still have a long way to go to um, to ensure that all Australians are aware of the service that is available to them, and they have such a, an array array of services available to Australians now. It started off as a as a bill uh, focused on just children or a piece of legislation, I should say, uh, focused on just children. And, you know, that now has been expanded to include all Australians. It had a very specific kind of cyberbullying remit. Again, that that, that remit has, ex- has expanded. Their powers have, have extended over the intervening years. So there's been loads of positive changes, but, you know, they're, they're still having to promote them and, and ensure that all Australians know that it is available. So I know that that is a big job um, for the Online Safety Commission in Ireland as well. And, you know, too often we hear of children reporting things and they're not, not getting a response or not getting an adequate response. 
and then they just sort of leave it or you know they don't they don't don't take further action so in time uh, and this is this was a fairly recent development with the with the legislation there will be an individual complaints mechanism and this means that you know so I, I don't expect that to happen immediately i think they said 2024 would be the kind of earliest um stage at which that might be ready but essentially what that should mean is if you report uh make a report to an online service so it could be a gaming company it could be a social media company about harmful content if you either do not receive a response or receive a response which is not adequate, i.e. they don't intend to take action, you can then, in theory, take that to the Online Safety Commissioner's office and ask them to intervene. Mm. And hopefully they will then be able to issue a time-bound takedown notice to that platform. And this is how it works in Australia. Um, And that time-bound takedown notice is actually 24 hours. So it was reduced from 48 hours to 24 hours. So it is very effective. And actually, they, they've reported that they don't have to get to that point very often. Normally, they can kind of negotiate before um, the, the takedown notice is issued and the content can be removed successfully before that point. So, you know, that's the ideal that it doesn't even need to get to that point because it's all happening so fast. But what we want to, I suppose, we've got to kind of watch and see how effective our own uh, version of this is going to be because the timeliness is absolutely key. So we want there to be a time-bound um, element to the, the initial complaint. So if the online service has not responded within um, a reasonable time frame, and you know probably 24, 48 hours, something along those lines, then you can take that to um, the online safety commissioner, who then also has to respond in a timely fashion. Because if if there is a child who's maybe being bullied over something that uh, maybe a video that's been shared, an image that's been shared, they, they want it gone and they want it gone now. So having to wait days or weeks for that action to be taken would just not be acceptable. So the timeliness of all of this is going to be absolutely key. And even if that service is only available initially for children, it will still be um, a huge success as far as we're concerned. Yeah, fingers crossed all of that comes to pass. Uh, Before I let you go, I want to talk briefly about an event that you guys uh, are hosting on the 28th of February. Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so this is the the sort of final stage of our Same Rules Apply campaign. So it was a one minute video, um, which is available on our website and also an interactive digital guide for parents. So hopefully covering off some of these bigger questions around how we can support our kids. And then the final piece, is uh, a, a parenting panel discussion, uh, which will take place, as you say, on the on the 28th of February. It's um, going to be hosted by the Irish Examiner and it's sponsored by Accenture. And on the panel will be myself, um, Ornia Lynch from the National Parents Council and Colman Nocton, Nocta, the, the child psychotherapist. So, um, and then the, it will be hosted and facilitated by the Irish Examiner. So hopefully we will have very rich discussion uh, discussions at that at that event, and also provide additional supports to parents who are going through this now. Yeah, well, that's definitely one to watch because Coleman is someone I often refer to when I'm talking about these types of issues. He just completely has his finger on the pulse. So I'm sure there will be plenty of uh, nuggets of wisdom from that. Uh, You can find the video that Alex just mentioned and a really handy little info sheet for parents 
on cybersafekids.ie. There's also links to other brilliant resources. So if you are one of those parents kind of scratching your head or, you know, pacing up and down the hallway, trying to figure out what to do, uh, there is help out there and there's advice and there's guidance. Uh, So cybersafekids.ie is a great place to start. Uh, Alex Cooney, as always, thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk. Thank you so much. Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. And on Sunday evening, uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday and a lot of people are super excited. And uh, not only is he of the Business Post, but he is the biggest NFL Super Bowl nerd that I've ever met in my life. Emmett Ryan uh, is with us now to talk through it. Emmett, how are you? Good, good. Although I think Coon and Flaherty will be a little competitive on that. The hostess Blanc is saying that about me, but thank you kindly for that. You guys can fight it out. I, I, I'm not involved. Um, but I want to talk to you not about the football side of things, although I'm sure you will in a minute. Uh, I have been spending a good bit of time on Instagram, on TikTok, as one does. And the amount of celebrities posting their Super Bowl ads or teasers for their Super Bowl ads with big partners is phenomenal. Has this always been the way that, you know, like obviously it's a super valuable time slot for ads and so on, but has it always been as, I don't know, celebrity driven, celebrity focused, give us that money? Well, you see, it's the most valuable ad time of the year, Jess, in the US and pretty much for any single TV event, uh, it's the biggest in the world in terms of a single location because obviously there are bigger TV markets but when you're talking about the cost of the ads like for context a 30 second slot during this game is going to cost $7 million Wow and you've got to go back to 1983 for the last time a show in a given year uh, beat the Super Bowl for the most watched show in the US so that's going to be 40 years this year by the way for those wondering it was the finale of MASH that was literally the last time any show that wasn't the Super Bowl beat the Super Bowl in a, in a given year in terms of raw viewing figures uh, like there is also a thing called audience share which is the percentage of TVs actually watching at the time there's once been beaten since in audience share but it wasn't even close in the raw millions of bodies and that was the Tanya Harding Nancy Kerrigan uh, figure skating back in 1994 so you're talking like twice in 40 years it's been a debate as to what was going to be the most watched TV show in America in a given year as a result it's got so so much money in the ads because advertisers know this is when the eyeballs will be there it's just that simple and yeah like so we've already seen there's going to be a breaking bad type of uh, ad for some sort of pop tips of some kind it isn't pop tips the brand but something like that so they have like jesse and walt back like both actors brian cranston aaron paul and they have one of the other actors in it as well in the scene uh it's that's already been leaked it looks a bit you know sort of like it's going to be terrible um, I know that they've got another couple of the guys from Scrubs and somebody far more famous than them doing an ad. I've forgotten who it is, to be entirely honest. John but it Travolta. Is it's John Travolta. And it's he's John singing, Travolta. Yeah, he's singing one of the songs. Like It's basically a thing for a broadband company, uh, but they're singing You're the One That I Want. It, they're singing a song about broadband to the tune of You're the One That I Want. And it is one of the worst things I think I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, because I'm guessing quite a lot of the ads are terrible. Uh, but like the other thing to watch out for is whatever M&Ms are doing. It's a blatant media ploy where they've claimed that they're only going to, that they're like getting rid of the debated over the sexualized M&Ms and stuff and people having these complete nonsense fights. So it's all le- leading into an ad with, uh, oh, uh, who's it? It's uh, Rashida Jones, I believe, is going to be involved in that. So it's like there's going to have a lot of celebrity faces on it. You're going to have some stuff which will appeal to people. Some of the ads will be very bland. Hopefully they 
there won't be too many terrible ones. There was one horrifically offensive one about 10 years ago, which involved some of the worst Chinese accents by white people you've ever heard in your life. And they were performing as pandas. It was it was pretty bad. It was extremely racist and it was in the last decade. So, you know, that's the ones you're going to have to watch out for. Who's going to make a really, really bad mess up? Because typically nobody knows those ads are yet. So, yeah, it's, it's huge, commercially speaking. Like on the halftime show, even look at the scale of the artists they have. This year it's Rihanna. It's her first live event since uh, she had her last child. So, you know, they've got her back for her. That That's her big one. Like last year was a celebration of hip hop of the 90s and early 2000s. You know, you're talking like anyone you've heard of who's a musician that, well, I say anyone you've heard of, anyone you've heard of, if you're over 30, that's a musician, they probably performed at Super Bowl halftime show. And if not, the odds that they weren't quite big enough and they performed before the game instead. So it's going to be enormous. It's one of the biggest betting events worldwide in the year as well. Like people are even betting on who's going to win the coin toss. Like that's the level we're talking about. Yeah, you mentioned Kuan earlier on who presents Blanc, which is available as a podcast right now on the GoLight app, uh, but also at 10 p.m. on Friday but he always talks about how you know you can bet on what color Gatorade they're going to drink like all that stuff is just bonkers so although it is a football game there's a lot of money being made by a lot of people and that that's nothing really to do with the football yeah no it's a, it's a gigantic commercial event that happens to have a football game going on like, because I watch an awful lot of American football and it does feel different, not just because it's the deciding championship game. It's because you can sense all of this sort of, you know, commercial feed around it. The razzmatazz, like they had the rock introduced to teams onto the, onto the field last year. And, uh, you know, so you got Dwayne Johnson just doing literally welcome the teams on the field. That's all he was brought out there to do, obviously for a hilarious fee as well. One thing to point out to all the listeners, because I know the vast majority of Tech Talk listeners know this, but I find there's one person every year who is stunned to realize that we don't get the ads the Americans get. Uh, it's like you can watch them all on YouTube afterwards. Uh, there's usually somebody's put together a playlist of all the Super Bowl ads. If you really want to see them all, you can. But uh, if you're watching on Irish television, it'll be Virgin Media and Sky will be the two having it. I believe the BBC do as well, but I'm not 100% of that. Always BBC have no ads. But uh, if you're watching on Virgin or Sky, the odds are it'll be a very bland selection of ads. Because as someone who watches American football through the year, I can tell you that uh, it can be painfully repetitive in terms of the advertising during the year. It's usually three or four of the same ads over and over and over again. So that's one thing to watch out for. But like, yeah, even for me, it's like one of my biggest like, nights of the year just in terms of making food. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a religious thing for me. I'll, I, I bought two kilos of wings, which is a lot, especially given it's just me and my other half uh, who are going to be watching the game in my place. Uh, so as I said, I'm sharing with, with them. I think she will openly tell anybody that I'll definitely be eating the vast majority of these. So it's a tray for each half, a kilo each. Uh, I'm even putting in like thoughts into what way I'm going to like do them up. Like, so it'll be lemon, pe- lemon pepper the first half, hot sauce the second. I'm making fresh guac on Sunday, buying specific <laughs> beers that will suit me to pace through the night. Like everything, you know, sort of, you know, it's it's it's, it's all kind of military, kind of tradition for me. But it's all about sort of, you know, what I do night at Super Bowl. Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people here in Ireland who are just like that as well. Um, one thing that I'm interested to see is how it's covered on Twitter, because it is one of those events that people do tend to live tweet. But obviously we've had a whole host of... Yeah, and I know there's a lot of people here in Ireland who are just like that as well. Um, one thing that I'm interested to see is how it's covered on Twitter, because it is one of those events that people do tend to live tweet. But obviously we've had a whole host of, 
messing about, to put it politely, on the Twitter platform in the last wee while. A lot of changes. A lot of people are saying that their reach isn't as big as it used to be. They're not getting the same level of interaction. Even Elon Musk is saying that. Uh, yeah, no, it's definitely like, uh, you know, it's like, although what I would always say to that is I don't recall how often I checked the amount of views my tweets had before would only have been if it was story related or if I was trying to push out uh, something in particular to do at work. And typically those would obviously have more interaction anyway. Uh, but now that I see the raw number, it's like kind of going, ah, far fewer people see this than I think, uh, you know? So it's just kind of curious for me, which makes me wonder, you know, how much I really want to use the platform, to be honest. Oddly, the ignorance was bliss thing had me more keen to use it because I figured, well, sure, I've got, you know, whatever, 7,000 followers on my main and 10,000 on my basketball account. So I'm assuming 7,000 seed and that 10, thousand seed in that right nope more like a tenth maybe if you're lucky uh usually more like a 20th so it's like oh that's actually not that many at all i why am i bothering so yeah there'll definitely be a lot of that although what i, I tend to find during these massive events is uh, there's so much interaction that you tend to have a bit you'll probably see people's engagement up a bit more purely because there's so many people who are interested in this will be tweeting about it at the same time and interacting with each other so much that you'll have probably better than an average day in terms of engagement for most people uh, just talk to us briefly then about the actual football side of things. Who's playing? Who are you going for? And who do you think is going to win? Yeah, no, it's a great game. Uh, we're time I don't have anybody in particular for or against. It's Kansas City Chiefs against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, narrowly going for the Eagles both as who I'd like to win and who I think will win. Who I think will win because it's a very close game. Two very, very exciting teams to watch. They've both won in the last six years. So like both very talented sides. And... Uh, the main reason, though, is I think Philly have a little bit more strength in Kansas City, although it is very tight. But also, frankly, I know that if Philadelphia wins or loses, but especially if they win, it, the city of Philadelphia is going to be absolutely destroyed. Like when they won it the last time, it was crazy. When they won their their championship game, which is a game to get into Super Bowl, they went wild on the streets. So winning the actual big one itself, that'll be ins insanity. Like I was saying to a friend last night, it's going to be like the last of us by the end of it in Philadelphia if they win it. <laughs> Okay, well, I was just nodding along, pretending like I understood all of that. But absolutely, I just echo what you say. Uh, I, I am interested to see how Twitter performs, the reaction to it online, because you know that through Sunday night into Monday morning, this is going to flood every social media platform. So it is definitely one to watch. Uh, Emmett Ryan of The Business Post, as always, thanks so much and enjoyed the game. Thank you. And that's it for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, have a great weekend.